0: Hey GearHeads and welcome to GT Garage Talk, a discussion about all things automotive. I am your host Corey, and this week we are closing out the second full season of the GT Garage Talk podcast. I cannot believe it has been two full years. Thank you to each and every one of you listening. We've got a special show in store for you today. I'm so excited I can't even talk. We have a special guest joining us today in Carl Malik. He writes for Car Rebs Daily, among other different things. He's up in the Michigan area, so he is in the epicenter of American vehicle technology. So we will kind of get a behind the scenes scoop into his life, what got him into automotive. Even just, you know, casually drops the fact that a Rolls-Royce was dropped off at his house for review, you know, no big deal. It's just how he rolls. So without further ado, we will welcome on Carl Malik. All right, Gearheads, I have the pleasure of sitting down this afternoon. I guess as I'm recording this afternoon, I don't know when you're listening this, with Carl Malik. Carl, nice to have you.
1: And thank you. So thank you for letting me join you today.
0: Absolutely. So uh, I first and foremost, thank you. You reached out to me, said you are a longtime listener and fellow car reviewer enthusiast. So uh, it was a great connection to be able to bring you on board.
1: Yes. And thank you for that.
0: Yeah, so uh, why don't you give the listeners just kind of a quick snippet of what it is that you do, where you write for, and uh, we'll remind them again at the end. But uh, where where can our listeners find what you do?
1: Yes, um, I am a contributor for Um, On that particular website, um, I cover... Uh, the electric vehicle side of the coin on both the Ford and GM side. Okay, And then the bulk of my work, um, you can find me over at CarRevsDaily.com. Um, I serve as, as both an editor and the lead uh, Michigan region person for that particular website. So given those two outlets,
0: uh, I know just from being Facebook friends with you that you get quite a collection of different vehicles rolling through your driveway on a regular basis. Do you not?
1: Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: So you said torque news, you really kind of lean into the EV side of things. I'm going to steal one of my random misfire questions from later on in the episode. Uh, What are your thoughts leaning EV internal combustion and, and the differences between the two?
1: That's kind of a tough question to answer. I mean, as far as uh, the EV side of it's concerned, I do like some of the potential that exists in the technology. Um, My office is actually uh, down the road from uh, GM Tech Center here in Sterling Heights. So uh, you can imagine at least once a week, I see uh, a Hummer EV or two out on uh, final shakedown runs. There is some potential. I don't see it. As quite ready for mainstream just yet, mainly because of pricing as well as range um, for some of the lingering uh, EVs that are out there. I know a lot of them these days are in the 200, 300 mile yeah. range, but still, you know, if you're looking at the road trip with an EV, we have a lot of charging stations here in the East Coast, a lot of charging stations as well in the West Coast. But Especially when you get to the middle of the country, say, you know, Nevada, New Mexico or whatnot. Or Texas. There's you don't really have to tell me. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I
0: took one from uh, here in East Texas up to Amarillo in a mm-hmm. gas-powered car. It's supposed to take about seven hours in a Mach-E, which is what I drove. According to Ford, it was supposed to take, what was it, 10 hours. It ended up taking 14 so yeah, you don't you don't have to tell me about charging stations and road trips. Uh, I am well versed in all the the uh, the unfortunate side effects of it.
1: Yeah, that said though, uh, I do think that where we're at currently, we are actually in a good position for say other EV applications like say electric powered motorcycles, for example. Oh, yeah. I'm actually uh, in the process of getting everything together to purchase one of those, and you know for a motorcycle buyer that may be in a big city or whatnot, no, I think we're actually in a good uh, position you know, for those particular vehicles as far as where we're at right now in terms of charging.
0: Yeah, I think that the application for two wheels is much more practical than the application for four wheels because the added weight of the batteries that are big enough to move, you know, it's kind of this the bigger the battery, the more it weighs, the more it weighs, the bigger the battery. And it gets into this crazy cycle of how big's too big. And, you know, you mentioned the Hummer EV. I'm yet to see one of those in person. Hopefully, uh, when you and I are at the Chicago Auto Show, I've already seen it's on the list of attendees. Looking forward to that. But yeah, that that thing weighs, what, 9,000 pounds? Something just ridiculously yeah, insane. Yeah, i take
1: over a 9,000-pound curb weight.
0: <laughs> like, you know, I, here in East Texas, we see all these load zone bridges and stuff. And I, I just, I've never in my life thought a vehicle that I would be driving would make me question whether or not I could cross a bridge. Driving a Hummer EV might might change how i approach some of these uh small east texas roads around here for sure right <laughs> so what have you gotten to drive in the ev realm
1: uh i was recently in a mazda mx30 um that one actually came uh during the week that uh i got married to my uh, lovely wife uh emily
0: well congratulations that that was very recent wasn't it
1: Uh, Yes, it was actually uh, back in November of uh, 2021.
0: Okay, well, congrats on the nuptials. What were uh, your thoughts, and maybe more importantly, what were her thoughts on the Mazda EV?
1: Well, I mean, uh, she certainly liked how stylish it was. And for me, you know, the style argument won me over too. It is a very stylish um, crossover, but both of us, you know, Range. Yeah. We both had a consensus that the range on it was non-existent. I mean, going around downtown to some of our uh related errands to the wedding, you really had to think about ranging that thing. Yeah. Will I have enough range to make it to downtown Rochester and back among along with the church and some of the other things?
0: So correct me if I'm wrong, because you've got to spend time in it. I've yet to see one in person. Those have, what, like 100 miles of EV range and that's it?
1: 100, that's it.
0: I don't think y'all are the only ones panning that vehicle for that reason. It, it would make perfect sense if it were a plug-in hybrid with 100 miles of range. That that would be a slam dunk. But yes. solely an EV with 100, yeah, uh, you you were purely looking at urbanites who never leave the city limits with a vehicle like that.
1: Yes, and I mean, uh, that's why uh MX30 is limited to the California market right now solely because of the range. But uh if you're in California and uh say San Francisco or Los Angeles, you could in theory uh, stretch that 100 miles out for the entire day at a charging station and just charge it home at night, but anything beyond that, you either have to use the uh loaner program that Mazda has or uh have a gasoline-powered vehicle in your driveway to Go farther than 100 miles. So, what's their loaner program? Essentially, what that loaner program is, I know Mazda has detailed in, in some of their uh, press releases in the past, but essentially, uh, if you need to go, say, beyond that range, um, you can actually uh, swap the MX 30 for a gasoline powered Mazda, like, say, a CX 50, a CX 30, you know, something like that take it with you on your trip. And then when you come back, you bring that gasoline powered vehicle back and then you get the MX-30 returned to you.
0: That's an interesting solution to a problem that may or may not need to exist, (laughs) depending on how you look (laughs) at it. You say it's relegated to the California market, which leads me to believe it's a compliance vehicle, pure and simple. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, California is vastly cracking down on emissions and what cars can be sold there it's because of California making the 2035 deadline that all the automakers nationwide are saying oh we're we're going all EV by 2035' so it, it's a very interesting thing where kind of California is directing the rest of the US market and how how it goes just because of the buying power that that state has yes.
1: Yes, and not just automobiles too. If you look at some of the other bits of that particular legislation, they're also targeting uh other uh types of uh powered uh contraptions like lawnmowers, uh other small engine things. Um you look in that, they are targeting that as well, and they're trying to uh make sales of those in that state all electric too.
0: So that that one wouldn't be too hard to sell for me. I already have a battery-powered mower just because I don't have an incredibly large lawn. Neither my wife nor I have a pickup truck with a bed, and I didn't really want to be carrying gasoline inside a vehicle to and from a gas station. So I was like, "Yeah, we'll just get battery power. And for the most part, uh, battery power has not let me down. But my goodness, this past summer has been the rainiest summer we have ever had here in East Texas. And my grass just ate it up, soaked it up, and kept growing. It was a jungle every single week to the point I have uh, a 5-kilowatt-hour battery and two 2.5-kilowatt-hour two and batteries. And I would kill all three of them on my front yard alone when normally I can do my entire yard on just the 5-kilowatt-hour. So I don't know if that's battery degradation or what, but it it was killing me this year.
1: Yeah, here in Michigan, it was uh, kind of the opposite problem. We didn't have as much rain as you guys, but uh, it was a matter of uh, keeping the lawns watered for us. There were days where uh, we went long periods without rain, you know, and uh, you had to decide... Do I let the grass go brown, or do I? Uh,
0: <laughs> well, that's that's <laughs> a like typical that. summer here in Texas. I don't know what was going on. At first, we had Snowmageddon last year, which was like a one in a hundred year type storm, and I have never seen that much snow in my memorable life. Uh, I think I went to Colorado when I was three years old, but I, I can't remember anything other than it was cold. But yeah, Snowmageddon last year was no joke. As you and I are sitting down to record this, I'm looking at the forecast two days from now where we have snow in the forecast again, and I'm like, oh, please, oh, please, no. But then part of me, uh, I just had a Ford Bronco delivered for a week-long test that I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, if we did get snowmageddon again, that wouldn't be the worst thing, you know, I just go out and have fun in the Broncos <laughs>
1: yeah. or you can make the trip here in Michigan because, uh, it's ironic. You bring up snow again. And because, uh, and not even 24 hours from now, we're going to get clobbered with a lot of snow. Um, they were saying, uh, eight to, uh, potentially eight to 10 inches here in my slice of the state.
0: No, thank you. I, I, no, mm. I, I, <laughs> I was born and raised in Texas. I was built for heat and humidity this, this cold stuff doesn't work for me, and I got my fill of it last year. So you you can keep it up there, Carl. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. <laughs> so let, let's talk a little bit about uh, you are in automotive media. Uh, what, what got you here? Ha, what path led you into automotive media?
1: It's kind of a very interesting story with that. I got my first exposure in the automotive media world, uh, literally right after I finished community college. Um, I was driving along one day and this was right around the time the, uh, Volkswagen Rutan was under, uh, development. And, uh, I sent that a uh, picture into, uh, Brenda pretty, it got big. And of course, uh, Brenda's no longer active in the automotive spy photography world these days. But, uh, from that point on it, it just blossomed. And after a few years of just focusing on the, uh, photography side of it, uh, I switched to, uh, the writing side of it. And, uh, I joined, uh, Car Revs Daily, I want to say in 2016, 2015. And even that was kind of by accident. Um, I was running my own website at the time and Tom Burkhart, um, the kind gentleman that runs that site, um, he actually, uh, was lectured me on Facebook for spamming because back in those days I had no idea you right. know proper marketing I was just freewheeling it and you know I took my uh, conuppance on that and then a few months later he was actually looking for a writer and I just reached out to him and said hey you no know, I'm willing to do it I mean I know you're still getting uh things off the ground with the site a little bit but that's fine you know I'll do it it's been a it's been a fun ride ever since.
0: Well, that's awesome.
1: I, I have
0: to ask, are there any particular vehicles in your history that have really spurred that on? You you mentioned it really started with catching a spy shot of a rebadged Chrysler to a VW. Uh, mm. But were there any, was there always a love of cars there? Or was it, like you said, something you just kind of fell into?
1: Uh, There's always... There's always been a love of cars. Um, In my family, uh, I grew up in a, a GM family. Uh, my brother is currently an engineer for General Motors. Nice. And my dad and my uncle worked in the plants for, uh, I want to say, for several decades. Uh, my dad retired after a 30-plus year career at GM in the plants. But there's always been that love of uh, automobiles. I remember... And my brother, I'm sure he'll remember this too. When we were little, uh, my mother had uh, an electric T-type. And uh, at this point, uh, the headliner was sagging a little bit. And we were four or five-year-old kids. So we had fun uh, poking holes in it with our dinosaur toys.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Oh, sagging headliners. That's Fortunately, cars have gotten so good here lately that you know, all those issues of the 70s, 80s, and early 90s are disappearing in modern cars. It's mm-hmm. kind of crazy to think just how good even a cheap $20,000 car is nowadays. they It's just yes. solid.
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, compared to, say, my first car, I had a, a 2001 Malibu. And you look at what was considered a quality in that versus... What we have in the Malibu now, it's a giant leap. I mean, especially in terms of design. I mean, the one thing that always got me on those uh, older Malibus, especially the LS ones, you had a strip of wood trim that would run along the dash, but that was it. So you had an island of wood um, that was largely in a sea of cheap plastic versus what we have now, where the design is more unified and everything is just uh, leaps and bounds above uh, what we saw in those models back then.
0: Well, it's interesting that you bring up the Malibu. So a couple of weeks back, I had an issue on our, a podcast episode about what's in a name. And me and the vehicle nanny, who is a longtime General Motors employee as well, we talked about you know all these resurrected names, and we didn't even bring up the Malibu. If you look back in the 60s, that was such an iconic performance-minded vehicle and now it's you know just synonymous with a family chevy car and Mm -hmm. i got excited you know given that it already was living under the reputation of a family car and nothing more when the current generation was teased because i don't know about you but to me it almost looked like the audi rs7 just that swooping back that kind of seamless transition from back window to tail that made it almost look like a hatch. Yes. It, it just looks so sleek and slippery. And I thought Chevy did a, an amazing job with that. And it's a shame that it really didn't translate into too much else the same way because same design themes are in the Equinox And personally, I don't think it translates quite as well to an SUV. And and I think the Malibu was like the pinnacle of Chevy's current design language.
1: I agree. I mean, uh, when I bought my uh, current car in 2013, um, I was at that point where it's like, okay, all that's here is a Buick Verano Turbo. You know, at the time, you know, uh, Chevy didn't really have anything design-wise that stuck out, at least to me. And you look at what's going on in design now, and I mean, I'm going to be in the market again at some point, and I'm having that same feeling again. You look at what's non-truck or non-big like, SUV, because those are on my price range. But you look at, like say, compact CUVs, mid-size CUVs, there's just no design distinction there. It all looks bland. Yeah. I hate to say
0: it. And that's probably really tough for you to say, especially with as ingrained as your family has been with the brand. But uh, you and I both know how hardcore Mary Barra and the team over at General Motors are leaning into the EV future, perhaps at the detriment of their non-EV present. And it's almost like they're just letting everything else just kind of wither to out there to die and perhaps that's just the way of things.
1: Right. Right because I mean if you look at GM's recent moves, um they are trying to bulk up their uh their electric vehicle presence. Um they recently announced a pretty big investment here in this area mm-hmm. for Lansing Delta and then as well as Orion Township um assembly plant. That latter plant um that does a uh, hold some good family history with me. I remember when I was a kid, uh, this was back when the UAW was a completely different entity. Um, there would be times where uh, we would have tours of the Orion plant. And then uh, after those tours, uh, especially uh, during the summertime, we'd have the, the Union picnic. The thing is, uh, they're trying to bulk up you know, their EV presence, but at the same time, not everyone's going to buy an EV. Right. There's going to be people that would still want the uh, established convenience of, say, a traditional ice powered vehicle. And it's like you said, they are uh, letting some of those wither away. Now, I can't say all of them because you look at the Corvette as well as right. uh, what you have with the Suburban right now, those are probably the main exceptions, you know, at least in my eyes, to that withering effect that you mentioned a little earlier.
0: Yeah, you, you got to keep. Uh keep the cash cows happy basically and with suburban being the longest running nameplate in automotive history and the fact that it is the best-selling full-size SUV you can't let that one go Uh, Mm -hmm. Corvette is the icon of American sports car anything so you can't let that one go yeah but the Camaro it should be celebrating a major anniversary right now. We're in 2022. It should be celebrating 55 years of life. And I've and
1: yeah, there's nothing.
0: I've heard nary a peep. <laughs> so 10 <laughs> years ago, I had a 45th anniversary SS, which, you know, General Motors was always critiqued for basically just doing a sticker package for their anniversary models. But I thought it was a really cool car. It had silver stripes on a black car and then that red accent for the 45. But Mm -hmm. here we are, we just last week, as you and I sit to record this, got announced the anniversary edition for the Corvette that for 2023 Mm -hmm. is celebrating 70 years. So I don't know, like, were they just so focused on electrification that they forgot that there were some big birthdays going on? It's like, Oh, we, no, we got you a present. We got you a present
1: here, here, look, look what we got. (laughs) Yeah. We remembered, we swear.
0: (laughs) So yeah, I'll probably fall out of my seat if I see something for a fifty-fifth anniversary Camaro. Just because over
1: under minus two seventy on that, (laughs) yeah. yeah.
0: And uh, you know the fifth or the seventieth anniversary Corvette, uh, I wouldn't mind getting to sample one of those. So yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, very nice. I will say uh, what what is interesting to me. I I'll go ahead and I've already kind of teased it on my Facebook page. But I think manufacturers have completely leaped over the necessary transitional period to get the masses used to electrification. And that's plug-in hybrid. Mm -hmm. I just spent a week with an Escape plug-in hybrid. And I am sold on that being the next step. But hardly anybody's doing them. Uh, So Ford Motor Company is... Jeep yep. is. So Stellantis, you've got the Chrysler Pacific, I believe it's a plug-in hybrid as well. There are a handful of vehicles out there that are plug-in hybrid, but that's what we should be going all in on right now.
1: I, I 100% agree because a lot of people, um, when you look at the types of green vehicles that are out there, hybrid, plug-in hybrid, and then EV, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the plug-in side of it is actually that perfect middle ground. And it can also be a good transition point to someone that would want to eventually go to a full EV. Because if you look at the plug-in, it's the perfect balance of compromise and range to an extent. You have the ability to go uh, distances on electricity, but if you need that long distance, no problem. You have a gas engine still that can help you out there it's not like a hybrid where it's mainly the gas engine doing it and it's not like ev where if you don't have something with a lot of range like say recent hyundai evs or even gm's rolling growing fleet of ultium ones Mm -hmm. you know you're left high and dry yeah so
0: yeah the day they delivered that escape to me Um, I hit the road for Houston, which I joke here in Texas, we don't measure by miles. We measure by hours. It's a four hour drive from here. And Mm -hmm. to be able to do that in a vehicle that earlier in that day, like I ran and took my son to my parents' house and back and did a few errands completely on electricity, didn't use a drop of gas whatsoever. And then in the same vehicle I was able to drive all the way to Houston without stopping once for fuel, for electricity, for anything. And I'm like, how are more manufacturers not leaning into this? This is the answer. It's the gateway drug to get people hooked on not stopping at the gas station.
1: Yes. And on the subject of range, I actually have a quick story about that. Um, Years ago I had a, an Ionic EV for a review period and, of course, this was during the time when we had heavy construction on I-75 going towards the Ohio border, and uh, the range on on an Ionic EV back then was 120 some miles. But the thing was, I thought, okay, I can just make it down there, you know, plug in and no problem. It was a lot harder <laughs> than anything. I had to stop and charge at at a Monroe Community College, nice. and my wife will never let me hear the end of it because. Uh, Apparently, Monroe Community College, they have a a potter's field. So she was saying that I was getting electricity from the ectoplasm and all the ghosts that were there. So after that little adventure, we went to uh, her grandpa's house. And he was so afraid of the thing because he never saw an EV in his life. He wouldn't let me charge in his house. So I had to go to Toledo, charge at the University of Toledo, just to get enough energy to uh, make the trip back over the border. Wow. Mind you, you know uh, I had to miss the rest of the dinner, and then I had to do one final uh, quick charge at a Seven Eleven in Woodhaven, yeah. just to get the range to make it back home. And if you had a plug-in hybrid, you wouldn't have that anxiety. Right. You would have, you know, a, at least a good backup system in the gas engine to help get you home, so then you can plug it in and charge for the night, and then be able to uh, use the electric side of it like you would normally. You no, know, it's it's an overlooked thing, and. Drives me crazy sometimes, you know, with so much focus on EVs and even recent focus on the fuel cell side of it. If you're Hyundai, right? You know, it's like, where is the attention on plug-in? Why not promote that first, then EVs? Yeah, like uh, just get people
0: hooked on what it's like. Give just give them a little taste. It's like, okay, here's what an electrified life would look like because Mm -hmm. there are studies out there that 30 miles should be enough for the average American's commute. I understand that doesn't apply to everyone. I spent 12 years in analytics. I know that <laughs> means and all, all of that. But if for us, the highest I ever saw on that Escape plug-in hybrid was 38 miles of EV range. That was more than enough when I actually had a commute for me to do everything that I needed to do even run errands, get groceries on the way home on pure electricity. So five days of the week, I'm not using a drop of gas. And then on the weekend, we can load up, drive two hours to Dallas and go do something fun in the city and use gasoline and not have to worry about, Oh, we're taking this car or that car or any sacrifices like that. I just, right, it blows my mind that more manufacturers are not leaning in on this. And it has me so excited for the 2022 Jeep Grand Cherokee, uh, not the L because right. uh, uh, the two row Grand Cherokee is coming out with a four by E option. And I'm like, that just seems like the perfect amount of comfort, luxury, efficiency and off-roadiness. Cause I would naturally, I would want the Trailhawk version. It, it's mm-hmm. like, almost the perfect vehicle for me right now in my mind. And I'm like, man, more manufacturers need to jump on this bandwagon.
1: Yeah. And you brought up the Jeep, um, because I think Stellantis is actually, uh, one of the few automakers I've seen that is actually, uh, projecting this type of message. If you look at what they're going to do with Jeep down the line, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're focusing on plugins first yep. and, uh, you know, you see that with the Wrangler um, plug-in and the Grand Cherokee plug-in. It's that good gateway for those people. Because if you try to give a pure EV Wrangler good luck explaining to a, yeah. or even convincing <laughs> Wrangler uh, people, hey, here's a Wrangler EV. Buy this, please. Yes, It's good to have that a transition stuff where it's a plug-in where it's like, yes, you have electricity, but, you know, if you get far, far away from a charging station, you still have a gas engine to help you.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jeep knows our customer base very well. And I I think they even eased into the 4xe very nicely because for the longest time we had the Pentastar V6. And then they introduced the 2-liter 4-cylinder, which mm-hmm. a little torque monster for what it is. And that is the same engine that is in the 4xe hybrid system. So... Mm-hmm first, you know, all right, we're taking away the pinestar, but you can still order one. You you still get the V six if you want it, but we're gonna give you this little four cylinder. It's more economical. It's got a lot of torque. You'll like it. You'll like it. Sales on those picked up and then they're like, oh yeah, we're gonna put some electricity behind it, and make it even better. And I've sampled a four by E. I took one off road. I had uh Scott Talon. They had a Jeep marketing riding shotgun with me which Mm -hmm. (laughs) slightly intimidating (laughs) having uh, a high ranking official in the vehicle with you. And right behind me was uh, Matt uh, driving the 392 uh, Rubicon version of it. And, you know, hearing him roar to life back behind me. So yeah, Jeep knows their fan base very well. A A purely electric Jeep right off the bat would not have flown, but easing their fan base in and then, you know, giving us what we really want was a 392 powered uh, beast of (laughs) of a Rubicon. Yeah, that that they did it right. They know their customers and I applaud them for it. And Mm -hmm. I'm actually connected with the head of the largest 4xe group online in Jeep 4xe fans. He was the first recipient ever of a consumer uh, Wrangler 4xe. And we've got an episode. Oh, really? uh, we've got an episode with him. Uh, I'll link it down in the show notes for anyone who wants to listen who hadn't heard yet. But it's Chris Hall. Uh, like I said, he's leader of the Jeep Four by fan page on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, I think he's. Yeah, he's all those places. And to your point about if they had just dropped a purely electric, it no, it would not have gone over well because there's quite a bit of chatter within the group of you know old time jeepers air quotes uh, for those who can't see me (laughs) old time jeepers who you know talk down to them for the electric powertrain and stuff like that so there's still a transition period but i think jeep Mm -hmm. is absolutely going about it in all the right ways oh i agree what what has been even more interesting to me is i'm hearing rumors and since i've heard these rumors i've been kind of particular to listen to the language that mary barra uses Uh, when she's talking about GM's electrified future, And they initially said 2035, carbon neutral, all that good stuff for their light duty. Now they've kind of wavered on it. They're kind of backpedaling a little. But I think, I feel, I hope that the way she's phrasing things now, that she's leaving the door open for a plug-in hybrid system in the their vehicles i haven't said it i heard them say it i haven't uh seen anything official but i'm hoping that perhaps that they haven't just completely skipped over that step especially yes
1: i mean i haven't heard any any or seen anything myself um in regards to that but i mean uh those recent remarks that she said I mean, few people realize that it also kind of represented a little bit of a swerve in terms of uh, what she has been saying, especially in regards to Tesla and some of those plans. Because if you remember, you know, she wouldn't ever really directly address, you know, anything with Elon, anything with Tesla. But when she made that CBC Morning's appearance, she just said, she just straight, said straight up, "We want to lead. We want to be mm-hmm. um, the leader in EVs." You know, so you look at that and it's they're acknowledging Tesla now and they really want to be Tesla.
0: Yeah, which talk about interesting steps and paths to an end goal. What was really crazy with uh, CES in Las Vegas, Consumer Electronics Show or whatever the S stands for. I think it's show. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, they Chevy had the keynote there and they unveiled the 2023 I believe Silverado EV uh, or yep. was it the 24 doesn't matter because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, they uh, they teased two vehicles that are actually going to be available before the Silverado will be available to customers yet we know nothing on those yet and, and that's very interesting and very telling that they see pickup trucks are very profitable for them. Mm -hmm. They're able to get those bigger batteries and those longer range numbers in a big platform like that. And, you know, they get that kind of Tesla like buzz around them because Tesla Mm -hmm. doesn't have a pickup truck right now. You know, we're still waiting on (laughs) Cybertruck rumors going on about, is it actually going to happen? Stuff like that. But You know, it's got the quick acceleration. It's got all the sexy, fun, EV-type numbers to it. And then Mm -hmm. she's like, oh, by the way, there will be an Equinox, which I think looks amazing.
1: It looks stunning. So much better than the gas version.
0: And they teased a Blazer. And I'm like, show me this Blazer. Is it going to be true to Blazer's past? Or is it going to be an electrified version of Blazer's current? So uh, me, the vehicle nanny... uh, I'm sure the entire automotive world are waiting with bated breath to see that blazer. Yes.
1: EV. Yes. I mean, uh, that's the thing I was wondering too, because I was listening to that very same keynote and it made me wonder what does this blazer look like? Cause I'm sure uh, you you've seen it. Mm-hmm. And when the current blazer came out, everyone, there were people that were saying, this isn't the blazer of old. What are you making here? This is a travesty
0: so, <laughs> yeah. sacrilege. <laughs> yeah.
1: The, the old blazers were big four-wheel drive things and here we are with a car a crossover <laughs> an overpriced one at that. so it's, it makes me wonder what this EV blazer will be. Will it channel some of that retro fire that had the, made the 70s and the 80s blazers popular or could it be you know an all-out bid on futurism? It certainly got me wondering I,
0: I've got it on good authority. And that, that's all I can really say, but that uh, basically General Motors was committed to using the Blazer name on the current Blazer. And when the firestorm of Ford Bronco really just hit a momentous um, crescendo, there we go, there's a good word for you, mm-hmm. uh, and all the hype and hoopla around that, that Mary Barra was furious that they wasted the Blazer name on this crossover, seeing everything and all the praise that was heaped upon Bronco and what they were able to do there. So that leads me to believe, okay, we have a fresh slate. If that story is true, please, please give us what we really want. <laughs> mm-hmm. For do sure. It. I 100% right. agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Carl, Uh, As much as I would love to keep talking EVs, I want to dig in just a little bit more to your psyche and what makes you tick. We have a segment here that we call Random Misfire, where I will ask you, I've got eight questions. I've got a long list of many others. I've already stolen from one, so I'm going to go ahead and check it off to make sure I truly get eight questions out of you. Uh, They're Mm -hmm. fun questions. They're yes or no. They're this or that no pressure whatsoever we can elaborate and expound upon them as much as needed but Mm -hmm. uh just just kind of get to know you as a person a little bit better get to know you as a gearhead a little bit better Mm -hmm. and the first one i ask all my guests on the show do you name your vehicles
1: uh no i mean i've had friends that name them but for me uh I, I do not really name them at all. Um, the only time I did, I did this one time, was when I had uh, my first car. And uh, it was getting old, and it was starting to have problems. So my brother actually came up with this. He, he started calling it the Malibro. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's really the only time where I've had any form of name for a car. I mean, everything else has just been like, oh, the Buick. Oh, the, the Jeep. Well, that kind of
0: thing so I have to pivot a little bit going back to my last episode with the vehicle nanny talking about car names while asking this question uh, are you wh- where are you on the spectrum of reviving old names uh, we'll take the blazer obviously you and I are both anti current blazer like name mm-hmm. it name it anything else but that but w- what are your thoughts on maybe proper? re rebirths like the Bronco or uh, I'm trying to think of another uh, good one the t-bird from a couple decades ago
1: yes I mean I mean for me um as far as the subject of reviving an old nameplate I'm always for that I mean I I've, I've always believed that there's always a good opportunity for say a retired nameplate to come back but the main rule that I have at least for me it has to be done right. It can't just be slapped on just because you want the money or because you're going purely on the name. It has to be done right. If you're going to use something like, say, Blazer, for example, since we've been talking right. about that today, it has to be done right. You have to have some of that distinct DNA, some of that distinct capability, and even some of that of the distinct feel that the nameplate you know, projects, you know, so if you can do it right, then I'm all for an old name play coming back.
0: So I've backed you into a corner here purposefully. Uh, I, what are your thoughts on the 2022 North American Truck of the Year, the Ford Maverick? Because that is a revived name that the current vehicle doesn't even remotely resemble what Ford previously had it on, which was a, a car.
1: Yes. Um, I mean, it's certainly a unique case with that one, considering um, the prior history of Maverick as a whole. But in this instance, you know, I'd say that the Maverick name on that truck, it actually suits it in a way. Because, I mean, if you look at what Maverick's supposed to be, it's supposed to target those city buyers, those do-it-yourself buyers, especially ones, you know, that would be more than happy to craft, you know, solutions or, crate solutions in the bed i mean if you look at the maverick name in that regard you know it really embodies the confidence and some of the uh vigor that that truck is trying to project onto the market especially at its price
0: yeah and so you know we spent a week with one and it was a sad day to watch that one drive off because you mentioned it. It was the price. It started with the price. It was so well-priced and fit so many different lifestyles so well because it it's based on the escape platform, which is a two-row mm-hmm. crossover. Uh, it also shares with the Bronco Sport two-row crossover. But in both of those vehicles, you're hampered on what you can carry with you. Whereas with the Maverick, you've got the big bed behind you where 1,500-pound payload, you're essentially the sky is the limit for a normal city dweller person so
1: and and then the flexibility too the flexibility to be able to put two by fours in the uh, indentations on the bed walls the ability to scan a qr code to get a a tip you know for shipping if you're in a bind you know that's those are the features that really stuck out to me on that truck
0: yeah it's fun fun little rig that like I said, sad to see it go. See, I told you we'd branch off a little bit here. All right, mm-hmm. uh, question numero dos: uh, new cars or classic cars?
1: Hmm, I'm more towards the the new car side of it. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I've I've always been a very budget oriented person, and for me, you know, uh, I I would need something you know that I can maintain, you knowing keep running in reasonable order on a budget. So, you know, for me, even though I like seeing classic cars at the car shows and on Woodward Dream Cruise, don't get me wrong, they look cool. But if I had to choose which side of the fence I would go as far as like every day, it would have to definitely be a, a newer car.
0: Well, I'm jealous you're so close to uh, Woodward Avenue and get to see the Dream Cruise. That's on my bucket list one day is uh, to cruise down Woodward Avenue and to see the Dream Cruise and yeah. Just all, all the things.
1: <laughs> yes. It's, it's really an extravaganza in itself. Just make sure you get there early to find parking. Parking over there is a nightmare. I, I a legit nightmare. I,
0: I could imagine. Uh, yeah. You, you just get that many vehicles together for any sort of reason whatsoever. And-
1: yes. That's why I actually recommend Gratiot Cruise for people that are uh, visiting our state for the first time. It's a smaller cruise that's over on Gratiot Avenue, Okay. and it goes through East Point, Roseville, and several other cities. The parking for that one is easier, and I remember uh, when I was a kid, we'd actually squeeze in a Gratiot cruise with seeing my grandparents at the time. They lived in a house uh, a little bit down the road from Gratiot, so we'd park the car in their driveway, uh, go see the cruise for about an hour, then come back and uh, spend some time uh, with uh, Oma and Opa eating dinner. It was a wonderful time.
0: Nice. Interesting. Nice travel tip. I, I will file that one away. Thank you. All right. Here lately, we have seen just the, the grayscale, the monetization, monotonization of the vehicle landscape. And every once in a while, a vehicle will come along that bucks the trend and says, no, I, I want color. Ford is doing it. They've got, uh, oh gosh, uh, I'm, I'm blanking. Cyber Orange is one of them. Uh, yep. Velocity Blue. Uh, what is that new, Rapid Red. Uh, Rapid Red. Grabber Blue is another one. Uh, even little t- tiny cars like the uh, new Chevy Trailblazer has that bright, loud, teal, blue, green color. What mm-hmm. are your thoughts? Uh, do you lean more grayscale? because it's easy and convenient, or do you want color?
1: Uh, I, I used to be grayscale, but I actually had a, a Rolls Royce, uh, colon and black badge for, uh, alone a while back. Just and that,
0: casually dropping that in there. <laughs> yeah,
1: yes. But you know, that really helped push me to the colored side of it because, uh, they have a color called Galileo blue on that thing. And, uh, it certainly uh pops in certain lighting in sunlight it looked exquisite right and it drew attention too so i i'll give that model credit for really uh pushing my mindset towards uh the color the colorful stylish side of it versus just a simple convenient grayscale well
0: we had a uh, press cullen in i Unfortunately, I did not get to have it for a week like most press vehicles. It was at an event, but it was mm-hmm. the uh, purple and silver one. And, you know, purple's a fun color. I would, unless it's like a, a Hellcat Challenger or something, I, I'm probably not buying a purple vehicle. But it was it was just right for this in mm-hmm. because it's a big stately vehicle that just it's a little bit of excess and that purple color, it fit that excess mind style.
1: Yes. As long as the color is not overdone. I mean, I'm sorry, but British racing green is the most overdone green ever. As long as it's not overdone like that. I worked at a Jaguar dealer uh, for a number of years before I went into the press and you had that first mystique of, Oh wow, this car is in British racing green. Then you saw it on like, other cars that are not Jag's it's like really it takes away there the specialness of it yeah yeah,
0: yeah absolutely <laughs> all right let's see question number 4 this will be a good one to you in what you do what you've driven uh what you see coming down the pike uh what would you say is the most exciting car um, the question says on, on the market today but That has been officially unveiled, so this could be something as late as a twenty twenty four model that we know is coming. Mm
1: -hmm. That is a really tough one Um, for me. I would, I would actually throw a bone to Nissan and say the new Z car. Yeah, I mean, considering uh, how long the three seventy was around, no, the the way they executed that Z. It's definitely on my uh want-to-drive list for uh, 2022 and maybe 2023. I mean, the styling, they finally got that right. Yeah, the interior is just that perfect mixture of old and new. And then that new V6, too. That yes. certainly got my attention.
0: Nissan is on a tear right now because uh we... At- We got to sample, as Texas Auto Riders, the new Frontier up against its main competition in the Toyota Tacoma and TRD Pro Trim. And Mm -hmm. there was also a Jeep Gladiator there. And it actually walked away from that event as the 2022 midsize pickup truck of Texas. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I was absolutely blown away. I understand that it is... They took the platform, the old 16 year old platform. They made some modifications mm. and tweaks. It's not all new. It's not 100% new from the ground up. But then they put a new body on it, new technology in it. And just the playful character of that truck, the inexpensive nature of it, it undercuts the uh, TRD Pro by four grand. And uh, like slam dunk, I, I think for not only winning that award, but definitely if you are in the midsize truck segment, if you're shopping, go check out the Frontier. It is that good.
1: Yes, because I mean the beauty of the Frontier, especially the brand, brand new one, it's like you said, you know, it is a mixture of old and new, but it's new in all the right places. I mean, you get a new infotainment system that it really needed for 16 years. (laughs) You get exterior styling that doesn't make it look like it's a time warp from 2005. It's it's new in all the right areas, and then you factor in uh, some of the capability that you get in that Frontier, too. Pretty potent formula.
0: Yeah, and so Nissan took what they did with the Frontier there. They applied it to Pathfinder. Essentially, the same thing. Uh, oldish bones, and mm-hmm. update all the things that matter and keep the price down. And then... They went, and to your point, did it to the Z. So oldish bones, it's essentially the same platform, but modified right. all the things that matter. And uh, I actually had a video from the Houston Auto Show where the product spe- specialist misspoke and said that the price was going to start at 30000 I questioned her on it, and she said, yes, 30000 That video blew up for me because everybody's like, well, this is the steel of the decade. Mm-hmm. And- It would be at thirty grand because you're getting a 400 horsepower twin turbo V6, making 350 Mm -hmm. pound feet of torque, and a six-speed manual with rear wheel drive, like all the (laughs) right things, like would obliterate the Subaru BRZ and the Toyota GR86, which have 228 horsepower at that same price point. Well, you know, Nissan weighed in and they said, "Sorry, she misspoke. It's going to be quote around forty grand." And I'm like even still that's a one heck of a bargain that is worth checking out. Yeah, it's not bad. So yeah. It's not bad. Nissan is on a tear. They have figured out the right way to cost savings weigh cost savings and reinventing themselves because their platforms Mm -hmm. are good enough to carry them. They just needed to update the things that matter and I'm looking forward to the future of nissan and what they can do Same here. when they've got a little more money in the bank and have worked their way out of kind of this hole they allowed themselves into
1: mm-hmm.
0: so let's see one two three four do, do 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 you prefer off-road driving or on-road driving
1: uh that's an easy one <laughs> um i i strongly prefer on-road driving i mean uh I wasn't really exposed to a lot of things on the off-road side of it, but I was exposed to a lot of things on the on-road side of it. I've um, i done autocrossing. I've done, auto crossing, I've done uh, some track days. Okay. And I've always just felt more comfortable uh, on-road than I ever would be off-road. I mean, would I go off-road if I really have to? Sure. But if people were to look for me, uh, they usually find me uh, on the pavement, you know, at a track day or something like that.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Track days are so much fun. So yes, uh, I cannot discount that. All right. You had mentioned a little bit of this earlier, so I'm going to lean into this one. Do you prefer two wheels or four?
1: That's a tough one. I mean, I'm a neutral in that regard. I mean, uh, I like four wheels, you know, for everyday use, but at the same time, uh, I've grown to respect and love two wheel driving too. Um, I actually fell in love with uh, zero motorcycles, and that's the brand of motorcycle I'm going to get okay. uh, in a few months here. And uh, I going into it, I thought, okay, I'm going to have such a hard time balancing on two wheels, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was easy. Yeah. Easy as can be. And uh, I think it just helped uh, create that neutral feeling I have in me where it's like, I love four wheels. But, you know, if I want to, I can just as easily hop on a two wheeled bike or a motorcycle and just be comfortable with that, too. Yeah,
0: uh, I am not a motorcycle guy, but I could just imagine uh, the freedom that you feel being out on two wheels, not surrounded by a cage or box or whatever you want to call uh, the cabin of a vehicle, uh, especially... I told you I had the Bronco delivered today. The first thing we did was take the top of the doors off and it, it's just, it's a different feeling being out and exposed and it's, it's kind of cool. So I yes, see the even appeal. On a
1: Even on a, an electric bicycle, cause I'm actually getting some free practice in on a, an electric bicycle that I happen okay. to have. You do feel that freedom, you know, when you turn the throttle and you go down the sidewalk or the road on pure EV, it's pretty, uh, interesting feeling. Yep, yep.
0: All right. Let's see here. All right. I've we've talked about road trips, so um what would be your favorite road trip snack?
1: Ooh. That's a tough one. I I've, I've actually gone on some road trips uh, reviewing some of these cars, so uh I'd say the favorite the favorite road trip snack that I ever had was was a big plate of uh cheese fries and i had it over at the lumber i think it's called the Lumberjack. it's uh, a little further up north in michigan um right by uh the gaylord area i believe okay and though those cheese fries and uh you mix it with the uh, burger they had there that was really good and then uh second place um and sadly the restaurant is no longer around anymore um it was called uh, Bab's Cold Keg over in Swanton. And uh, I always loved an opportunity to get some uh, frog legs over there. They had really good frog legs when they were old. All
0: right. Uh, very interesting. I have not had frog legs on, on my list yet. So that's, that's a good mm-hmm. one. All right. Last but not least, uh, favorite driving. Uh, This says song, but we could do song, playlist, genre of music. What do you listen to if you just got to get out and drive?
1: Oh, man. The one time where uh, I don't have my wife with me on this because my wife is a very musical and music-oriented person. But if I had to choose uh, some of my songs, um, I would actually uh, go for for like classic rock, um, classic metal, um, I'm a big fan of uh, the band Missouri. Okay. Um, I, I know they're not quite as big of a band as Kansas, <laughs> but uh, you go on YouTube and, and look up some of their songs, especially Moving On by Missouri. I highly recommend listening to them. Oh. Songs like that you know, would be definitely what I would listen to.
0: All right. Well, you fared quite well with Random Misfire. Uh, Carl, thank you so much for joining me this week, uh, for just kind of shooting the breeze. It felt like we were, we we got stuck talking about EVs, but that's right in your wheelhouse. So (laughs) uh, I I don't think you mind it too much. I hope my audience doesn't mind it too much. Uh, it was a blast. Remind our listeners uh, where they can find you once more.
1: Yes. Um, first off, uh, thank you for having me on the show today. I mean, uh, it was a blast, uh, talking with you and hopefully, uh, we, I can come back and uh, we can have more conversations in the future. But for people that are looking for my work, you can find me over on carredsdaily.com um, and torquenews.com. And then I'm active on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, my Twitter handle is CarlMalick3. I had to put the number in there because believe it or not there are a lot of Carl Malik's on Interesting. Twitter. It's crazy. And then uh Instagram um it's just uh Carl Malik, uh all one all one word one name. And then uh Facebook uh you can also find me uh, by my name uh, as well.
0: All right. And we'll be sure to link all that down in the show notes down below. So if you are in the habit of checking our show notes, we'll we'll link you to all Carl's outlets and his Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff down below. Carl, thank you so much, and looking forward to possibly meeting you in a week uh, when you and I are in Chicago.
1: Likewise, and same here.
0: Well, there you go. Another season in the books. Two full years of the GT Garage Talk podcast. I thank you for listening. I thank you for coming back each and every week. And if you're new here, what are you doing? Hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're you are on because we have a new interview with someone from across the automotive industry each and every Friday. That is when our episodes drop. If you haven't found us on YouTube yet for our car reviews, go find us at youtube.com slash GT garage talk, all kinds of fun stuff coming out from us we've got you know content from the chicago auto show carl and i talked about that a little bit this episode so there's just so much going on and it's an exciting time to be in the automotive industry and to be interested in vehicles especially you know if you like vehicles with the plug but you know we won't we won't get too much into that because we're closing out as always, you know where to find us. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, all at GT Garage Talk. And everything we do is at GTGarageTalk.com. Until next time, bye.